Well, good morning, y'all. Well, for um, our ABW North America team, um, we have kind of a phrase in our kind of our mission statement that helps people understand what we do, which is a little bit different than what our sending part of ABWE does. Um, you, you probably know us as a, more of a mission sending agency. Um, but what we do in a, on our North America team is simply uh, we're on mission with the church. So we're not you. And we know that. Aren't you glad? <laughs> so it's, it's not our job necessarily to reach people for Christ. It's your job. And we're going to try to be on mission to help you do that. So on mission with the church to reach every ethne in North America. And I don't know if you're aware, but not only are there 24 apparently here right in your own area, 24 nations represented. But in North America, there are actually more than 480 different people groups. And that doesn't even count sub-people groups like police or firemen. I grew up in a policeman's home. Trust me, it had its own culture, gay and lesbian. So 480 different people groups now call the United States home. And uh, so on mission with the church to reach every ethne, that comes from Matthew 18, where um, the command is to make disciples and if we move on to the last part of all nations, and the, the phrase there is panta ta ethne. And so Jesus' last command, my apologies, Jesus' last command to make disciples of all nations is really our first priority. And nations doesn't mean just that landmark. Actually, it's one of the words that Jesus used to help us understand about people groups. It's actually the least binding of any word that he could have chosen. It just means commonality or affinity. And so we have a lot of people groups here, and that's actually the next slide, which talks about crossing cultures without crossing borders. It was really one of the passions. It's really what led me to come back and, and take this ministry um, and actually to develop this ministry. This, most everything that we're doing in North America is brand new and things that we've helped to create since we've taken this role. But it was actually that concept as a pastor in, in Michigan that really burdened my heart. I looked at our church and I said, you know, we're good in Jerusalem. We're pretty good in Judea. We were working with another church plant. And ends of the earth, I mean, we were a great missionary sending church of just about 400 people. But I came to our leadership one day and I said, you know, guys, here's my observation. We are lousy in Samaria. And what I meant by that was there are all these other people groups, Hispanics, and uh, we, we were primarily white, so even African-Americans, Vietnamese, all these other people groups, even white-collar. We had very few white-collar people in our church. We didn't know how to reach people that were geographically close but culturally far. Fast forward 20 years, they asked me to come back to North America. I live in Budapest, Hungary, people. It's gorgeous. I go to Vienna on the weekend. For $100, I can fly to Rome and see the Pope. You get my picture? They want me to come where? Back here? Are you kidding me? And at a moment, the Lord taps me on the shoulder and says, you've had this thought before. I'm just putting you in a position to do something about it. And I remember thinking, when have I ever had a thought about coming back to North America? I've been a missionary overseas for 15 years. And the Lord began flooding my mind with all those thoughts about helping churches cross cultures without crossing borders. And so that's even what we're going to be doing a little bit tonight with the Heart, Mind, and Soul Seminar. How do you do that with a Muslim? How do you build that relationship? What, 
What should you do? What should you say? What do they understand? What don't they understand? And so we want to take the expertise that we have overseas, and we're going to try to help churches all across America to be missionaries to those 480 different people groups that are your neighbors. Lastly, we also, we're looking for some young people in their 20s or college students to come to Montreal and come and see. We have a trip called Rendezvous Montreal. I don't know, I said it with some kind of Russian accent apparently there, so apparently I don't know French, but 10 days, five cultures, four languages, one life-changing experience. I hope you guys will consider sending a a group of your 20-somethings or college age up there, and there's some information out there as well, but on mission with the church. Well, this morning, the first thing I want to Uh, talk to you about is what's in a name? Have you ever thought about what's in a name? Have you ever researched your own name to see what it means? It's not always as common here in North America as it is uh, around the rest of the world. But So I thought, well, I would look up what the name Douglas meant. And uh, the name, interestingly enough, Douglas means handsome beyond belief. (laughs) Uh, Wait a minute. I'm sorry. That was a text from my wife. All right. Let me. Oh, okay. I got it now. Yeah. So now, and, and where, where is Doug still in here, Pastor? Did he leave? He heard the sermon once and is gone. All right, well, you can have him in your mind. And you, you tell me if this sounds a little bit like Doug, because that's, that's my name too. So it says, meaning from the dark river or seeker of light, a man who has deep insights and mystical powers. And does Doug have those things? I don't know. All right. I see heads going this way. Isn't afraid to explore. A person of great understanding, having wisdom that accrues with age. Does that sound like your Doug? How about this one? Very public persona, but deeply private in many ways. Now, Doug and I talk, so I know this is a little bit like what he is. Well, you know, I decided I'd look it up in the Urban Dictionary just to, you know, see what was there. So let me give you this one. So if somebody calls you a Douglas, like, you know, in the hood, or they're like, hey, he's a Douglas, Right? Oh, he's acting like a Douglas. Okay, here's what they're talking about. It says, don't bother trying to fool, outwit, or fully understand him. He's a Douglas. He sees all, knows all, confounds all. Does that sound like you're Doug? Because I tell my kids this all the time. Look, you know, I'm a Douglas. You, know, you, you don't mess with me because I know things that you don't even think I know. All right? Well, I know, are Kenny and Gina meet here this morning? I don't think they're, they're back in the church. So, we served with them in, what's in, in Eastern Europe, and what's interesting is I decided to look up their names, and their names actually mean identical for man and woman. How interesting is that? It means Poland misses you. So I don't know. Maybe you need to just, you know, send them back. And, of course, Scott Russell, also one of your missionaries, I looked up the name Scott, and that actually literally means, you look it up for yourself if you don't believe me, it means crazy Ohio State Buckeye fan, right? <laughs> And one who roots for the wrong team. So tell Scott I said that. Well, sometimes there are people who just simply have unfortunate names. So how about this first gentleman? You know, I'm guessing the TV, you know, crew made a mistake here and they forgot to put in first name, last name. But, I mean, if that really is his name, can you imagine how that interrogation went? Uh, so Mr. Last Name, or you know, Mr. Last Name, let me talk to you. No, no, please call me by my first name, <laughs> you know. How about this next gentleman? Maybe a little unfortunate. <laughs> so you're laughing, which means you are aware of the beverage. All right, moving on. 
This one's a little bit of a groaner, but if you think about it, yeah, so if the D is just slid over a little bit, you kind of come up with something different, but Ben really is a good guy, and he literally will bend over backwards uh, for anyone, so. How about names that may not fit? You know, sometimes it just doesn't match up. Now, my name just happens to match up. Wisdomous, handsome one, seeker of light, all right. How about this uh, next gentleman? I don't know whether this matches him or not. Christian, what, what if your name is Christian Guy and you're an atheist? You know, I mean, what if that just may not match. Let me give you a couple other names. I don't have pictures for them, but for a lady's name, how about the name Hope? But she's actually a, a pessimist. And you're thinking, well, that, you know, hey, Hope. Okay, yeah, that doesn't fit. Or how about Faith, the name Faith? That has to be my wife's middle name, Sharon Faith Martin. And what if she has trust issues, you know? It just might not necessarily match. Or how about this next name? Not a common name here in the USA, but can you imagine there are other places where innocence uh, might be a name used around the world, but pure and innocent. And what if they're, what, a guilty, crook, corrupt, you know, a name that just doesn't match. Well, actually this morning we're going to talk about a man who's, this is actually what his name means. And that man's name is Zacchaeus. It meant pure or innocent. Now I know, you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourselves, you know, didn't pastor just preach like on Zacchaeus like four weeks ago? So here's what I'm thinking. If the Lord has me coming and preaching the same sermon, maybe y'all were sleeping. And he just wants to like, look, give it to him again. In fact, I was telling pastor that I was going to be uh, preaching on this passage, and he said, well, look, Doug, if they don't get it the second time, he goes, I'm going to have to come back and preach it again in another month. So don't sleep, all right? You're going to be hearing this sermon a lot. Well, before we take a look at the actual passage itself, let's, uh, let's take a look and just think about the setting. What, what's actually going on at this time? Well, the first thing we know is that it's at a time in, in Luke chapter 19, where Jesus is actually passing through uh, Jericho and he's on his way to Jerusalem. And do you remember why he's passing through Jericho? Do you know where he's headed? So he's headed to Jerusalem and he's on his way to be crucified. This is really at the end of his travels. And really the next stop is the cross. Can you imagine how weighty that must have been to Jesus at this time? So he knows about his impending crucifixion. It's near. And I can only imagine that it must have added to the weight. And now here's one more individual, another lost sheep of Israel who wants his attention and wants his time. In Luke chapter 18, right before the story, we also see Jesus telling a parable. The story is about a Pharisee and a publican, again, a tax collector. And what's interesting about this is that this wealthy, and again, that's how they would have understood, wealthy tax collector, he's actually saved. And he just says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. God saves the rich when they humble themselves before him. But do you remember the story? Because here's the publican who just has his head bowed and in all humility knows his standing before God isn't good. And he's just asking for mercy and it's the Pharisee who distanced himself. He distanced himself from the, from the tax collector. And he's kind of, kind of condemning. Did you notice? Oh, I'm glad I'm not like him, Lord. I, 
I give money. I do all these things. I'm glad I'm not like him. And he, he just, so he's kind of condemning and he kind of avoids this tax collector. Also in Luke 18, there's another story. It's about a rich ruler. And the rich ruler comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's kind of a works-based question, actually. What, what do I have to do? So Jesus, thinking, what do you have to do? Well, you pretty much have to keep the entire law. That's what he came to earth to do for us because we were incapable of doing that. So he lives this sinless, perfect life on our behalf. So get the rich, rich ruler's response. Oh, yeah, I've, I've done this since my youth. Well, now we have a serious problem because, number one, that means he just lied because he hasn't done it since his youth, and he's got a little bit of a pride issue here going on thinking that he did. So how does Jesus respond to that? Great, well, then if you've done all of that, then there's still just one thing you need to do. Basically what he's going to get ready to say is then you need to be humble. He says, sell all of your possessions and come follow me. And you know the rest of the story. He's so rich. To think of letting go of everything he has. And think about what Jesus did. He left heaven. He let go so that he could come. So we know the rich man doesn't do it. And you know what the verse said. And I'll let you quote it with me. How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom? It's easier for a camel to do what? Go through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to come to Christ. But in verse 18, 27, it says, but it's possible with God. And remember, he just told a parable, a story, about a tax collector who came, came to faith. So it's possible. And then one last little thing he says in the, in the setting as, as he sets up this story of Zacchaeus. Jesus says this to his, his followers. He says, basically, in a little while, you're going to receive back. When you let go, you're going to receive back from God in this life and or in the age to come. And I want you to hold that thought for now. Because I think as we get to the end, you're going to see this, this letting go, this, what, what God is doing is going to be important to help us understand even this particular story. Well, as we look at the story then, I want to give you four words. Oh, excuse me. Let me do one more thing first. Let me tell you about Zacchaeus. So go ahead and put all four of those points up there for me, please. First, we know Zacchaeus was, he was short in stature, right? So he's behind the crowd, he can't see, so he's heading someplace else to get a better vantage point. Secondly, we know his job is a, not only a tax collector, but he's the chief tax collector, which means he had tax collectors working for him. He was really also probably the equivalent of the head of the Department of Works, building permits, if you've been overseas and understand the bribes that take place when you're trying to build or do anything overseas, he's also probably in charge of customs. So that means anybody coming through the border, he's the one levying the taxes. It was a position acquired by Rome through an auction, so he actually had to bid on this position. You can imagine if it's going to the highest bidder, how much they're going to try to collect so that they not only can pay what's due Rome, but keep for themselves. And again, they're wealthy, so you can imagine they're taking in a good bit of money beyond what they need to pay. They overcharged whenever possible, Luke 3.3. 3, and they would sometimes accuse others of smuggling, remember the customs person, to receive hush money bribes. Well, Zacchaeus also had a reputation then among the people. Not only was he wealthy, 
But they saw him as a criminal. And he was a criminal. They saw him as a traitor. A traitor to, here's a Jew working for the Roman government. I mean, how low can that be? And not only that, he's ripping us off. It had to be a thorn in their side, a thorn of the side of God's people, because it was a reminder that they didn't have a king ruling them. Someone else ruled their country, namely Rome. A complete societal outcast. <laughs> I mean, this guy was the dreg of society. Nobody wanted to be with this guy. They all knew what he was like, and so they just avoided him. He was the worst society he had to offer. Who is that in our group today? Who's the worst? Think about that people group in your mind, because that's who Jesus was dealing with. And if there was ever a man whose name didn't match, like handsome one, right? Zacchaeus was it. I mean, just the name Zacchaeus, they're all thinking pure, innocent. And you just know, as they said, they're all thinking that. Oh, man, that doesn't fit. Yeah, he's anything but. Well, good old Zacchaeus, pure, innocent, not so much. Well, I want to give you four words just to use as we do read the passage. And I want you to think to yourself, which of these four words best describe the attitudes and actions of Jesus or the attitudes and actions of the crowd this day in this particular account, encounter on this particular day? Do we see Jesus affirming, giving any type of affirmation? Do we see him avoiding people or beliefs or behaviors? Do we see him condemning Zacchaeus? Do we see him engaging Zacchaeus somehow? And what about the crowd? What are they doing? And again, there really are two categories. And I think as you read, I think these will begin to come out. Think about not only how Jesus interacts with Zacchaeus himself as a person, but then also his beliefs and behaviors. And think about how the crowd interacts with Zacchaeus as a person and also what they say about his beliefs and behaviors. So with that, let me go ahead and read. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, pure, innocent. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Get it, you know, they're, they're not really probably wanting to let, Jesus, or to let Zacchaeus through. That's probably why he's also standing in the back. You know, like, kind of get out of here. You know, you're worthless. So Zacchaeus runs on ahead, and he climbs into a sycamore tree, and there's a picture of at least one sycamore tree there. might have been something like Zacchaeus was in. Or here's a, one other potential one. You, he may have been in a, in a tree like that. Sycamore tree fans around here, very slippery bark. Not even easy to climb, especially for a short guy. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully at his house. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, meaning the crowd around Jesus. Remember, he had a huge following. And now he's going to spend time with somebody that hasn't even been following him. And here's what they said. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. At some point, there must be an interlude there because he's gone, says he has gone to be with a sinner. 
And at some point, since he's probably staying overnight and he's lodging, I don't know if it's that night or the next day, the text isn't clear, but verse number eight says this, and Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, behold, something came to, he, 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 he was now understanding the message, whatever the dialogue was, Zacchaeus has now understood it. And so he's now going to talk about repentance, what it looks like for him personally. So since he gets it, here's what he says. And it's almost like in keeping with the law, he says, Lord, the half of my goods I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. And verse 10 says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That was Jesus' mission. And he just did it. All right, take a look at those four words again. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I know this is kind of unusual for a Sunday morning, but I'd just like you to turn to the person next to you and see if you can identify between person and belief systems, and between Jesus and the Pharisees, talk about it. What do, what do you see using these four words? Talk about it with one another. What do you see Jesus either affirming or avoiding or engaging or condemning and about the crowd? I'm going to give you about 30 seconds, so one minute total you have to talk amongst yourselves. What did you see from the text? Well, let's see if uh, any of mine match your observations. So we're talking about some of the things that are significant now about this particular story. And so let me just draw out a few for you. The first one is that, here's what I see. I see Jesus really engaging Zacchaeus as a person by stopping. Do you remember he's (laughs) he's on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified? The weight of that had to be Enormous, because we know he prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me. So, he, you know, it, it's heavy. But he stops. Here's all the people following him, but here's one other lost sheep of Israel. And he stops to engage him. The second thing that I see, not only does he stop, but he actually affirms Zacchaeus's worth and value as a person. He hasn't really said anything to him about his sin. Don't you think Jesus knew as Zacchaeus was a sinner? Do you think this caught Jesus by surprise? His actions, his behavior? I don't think so. And yet he affirmed, how did did Jesus affirm Zacchaeus? Well, not only by stopping, but the next way was he actually called him by name. You know, I don't hear him say anything else about anybody else in the crowd, but Zacchaeus he calls by name. He's John, Austin, Two people I met this morning. Can you imagine Jesus calling your name and just remembering and knowing who you are? Do you know, Austin, how, how affirming that must be? 
You know, I know if I'm sitting on the crowd and somebody calls my name, I'm feeling, wow, that's, man, that's... You see, Jesus knows that as image bearers, we have worth and value intrinsically. We were created in the image and likeness of the Almighty. That gives us value. That gives us worth. It's not about just sprinkling verses on someone. It's about taking time to affirm their value. Well, not only does Jesus affirm his, his worth by calling him by name, but he also says, you know what, Zacchaeus? You're worth my time. <laughs> can, you, can you just think of all the things that Jesus could have been doing that day? He says, you're worth my time. So he spends time with them. And then we see next that Jesus actually does at some point engage in dialogue, but he doesn't give us the exact dialogue because that's probably between the person that you're talking to. But he does at some point engage him in dialogue because we know how Zacchaeus responds. And the last thing we see is that Jesus does affirm Zacchaeus' new belief and behavior. He says, son of Abraham. Do you understand what, what Jesus was communicating there? Here's a societal outcast that Jesus has just now labeled as part of the family. Physically, son of, you're a descendant. You're, you're, you belong. Do you understand? Zacchaeus never felt like he belonged anywhere. And then it was also affirming his spiritual community because we, we know that Abraham was declared righteous because of his faith. So here's Zacchaeus coming to faith, making a transformation, making a change. And God is now, Jesus is now affirming that new standing, son of Abraham, spiritual seed, spiritual son of Abraham. He belongs to this heavenly family as well. You know how, how reaffirming that must have been? You know, stop, that's what Jesus did. Drop, that's what Zacchaeus did. And roll on out to, to Zacchaeus' house. Don't let firemen think that they created that when it comes to fires, all right? Stop, drop, and roll. It was Jesus who invented stop, drop, and roll. Where's Jesus on this? Where do you see him? Let me put those four words back up there. Where, where do you see him? What does he do? He, he affirms people. And he engages their belief systems. That's what he does. He didn't have to affirm the fact that he was a crook. Didn't have to affirm his false belief system, but he did affirm him as a person because he had worth and value. And where's the crowd? Yeah, they're standing off, aren't they? And they're condemned. He's a sinner. What are you doing hanging out with him? So let me ask you this question. Where have you been? You know, folks, I see it all over Facebook all the time. I even have relatives, believers. And they're constantly just sitting behind Facebook and condemning, not engaging. Wow. Where do you see yourself? Lastly, the last point of significance besides how Jesus engages and what he affirms is that Jesus remained on mission. Yeah, Amidst all the pressures, he didn't just bypass Zacchaeus. He wasn't swayed by the crowd. He's not overwhelmed with his impending crucifixion. 
Look, he knows why he came. He came to seek and to save the lost. He stays on mission. If I take all these concepts and I kind of put them together, life application, life integration, here's what I want to say to you this morning. Based on what we see with Jesus, build relationships capable of bearing the weight of truth. Do you see how now Jesus did that? He calls Zacchaeus by name. He, he's engaged, he, he just loves Zacchaeus for Zacchaeus, apart from what he's doing, apart from what he believes, apart from how he behaves. He, just, he actually builds a relationship, calling him by name, spending time with him. And at the appropriate point and the appropriate time, he then engages to be able to share truth. But folks, without relationship, you know exactly how it is. Anybody at your place of work that's ever criticized you or told you you were doing something wrong outside a relationship, you know exactly how you treat that information, true or not. You just let that go through. Well, they just don't like me. They don't care about me. Why should I do that? Folks, it's within relationship that people can say things to me that I need to work on and change that somebody outside of a relationship, even if they said the exact same thing, I'm probably not going to listen to them. So that relationship becomes the connection and it can now bear the weight of the truth that they need to hear. So that's the first thing, I think, in how we can integrate this. Build relationships. The second thing is we need to get on mission. Folks, I know that there may be some of you here today, you're, you're not on mission with Jesus. You haven't joined him. You're, you don't know Jesus as your Savior. This is my invitation to you today. Jesus has time for you. Jesus loves you, and he wants to spend time with you. But you need a Savior. Because light cannot have anything to do with darkness. And he wants to bring you into the kingdom of his dear son and into the light. But you need, like Zacchaeus, to turn pure, declared pure. I know there are some of you here, too, that, and I know because I know statistics, We've been doing some uh, surveys with churches and we found that 75% of people that have done the survey are actively involved in their church, ministering inside their church. The other thing we've discovered is that only 25% of people are actually engaged with unsafe people outside their church. So this morning I want to say to you, you know, it's time to join Jesus in his mission to seek and to save the lost you can't just sit back. It's time to get on mission. And tonight we want to help you figure out how to do that with Muslims. How do you do that? Well, the last thing I want to leave you with this morning is this one. Not only to get on mission, but for some of you that have been on mission with Jesus, you need to stay on mission. Do you remember Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't with the weight of the crowd or, or what's impending, he, he doesn't stray from his mission, he stays on. And I know how difficult life can be. And you know how difficult life can be. And there are sometimes you're just ready to throw in the towel. And I, I remember one of our missionaries um, who had been in Argentina for 15 years, now planting a church, Carl and Lois Sexton, down in Florida. And I was looking at their account. They were only about 40% supported. They didn't have the resources that they needed. And I said, Carl, you need to take a step back from ministry and get involved in, in just fundraising. Because I want you for the long haul. Later I found out that after that meeting, he just said, you know what, Lois, I can't do it. And he just threw in the towel. The next morning, he went to a pastor, or a men's breakfast, and one of the guys there that he had known for a long time said, hey, Carl, after breakfast, come on to my, my truck for a minute. Got there, and uh, he said, now, I want, I've been wanting to support you for a long time. 
And who do I make the check out to? And he wrote a check out for $250. He said, I want to support you and Lois monthly. <laughs> Carl came home, talked to his wife Lois and said, Lois said, how did it go? said, honey, said, remember yesterday when I threw in the towel and said, we can't do it? You just can't do this anymore. He said, well, this morning, God threw it back at me. <laughs> Man, staying on mission. I know you're hurt. I know you're tired. I know life has been difficult. Do you remember the setting? Jesus said, in a little while, you're going to receive back. But you've got to let go. Transparently, this past summer, I had had a, a very full year, hadn't been on vacation in a long time. This song, I didn't even know it was on my phone, and it popped up. Literally, Pastor, I, I cried on the beach for 10 minutes, and I couldn't stop. Because it was a perspective that I had forgotten. Not that I hadn't known, but I too was tired, and I just want to throw it all in. I can't do this anymore. And this song came on, and Jesus was reminding me, you know what? It's going to be worth it because in a little while, you're going to be with me. And this is going to seem like such just a breath of air, just a puff. Let me see if I can wrap this up then today. Here it is. And I'm going to go back to those names that I gave you at the beginning. So if that helps, now you'll know where I'm going. So if you are here today and you are a true follower and true believer and you have true faith and true hope, then I want to remind you, you've been declared Zacchaeus. You've been declared pure and innocent by God. A spiritual son of Abraham. And your last name and your first name have already been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And remember, bud, where we're going, there's only going to be light and no darkness. And Satan isn't going to have to bend over backwards, Pastor, to see the two of us and to see the rest of us and to see all of us who know Jesus being with our Lord and Savior. So maybe today, if you just need to ball like a baby, like me, because you're being squeezed and life is tough, I want to remind you, stay on mission. Don't throw in the towel because Jesus might just throw it back. And in a little while, we're going to be home forever with our Father. Seek and save the lost. Take someone with you, Pastor.